0: Welcome to the show, Fairways and Finance. My name is Jeff Smith. I've been in the mortgage business for 16 years. Top quarter percent LO nationwide. And this podcast, we want to talk about your finances, how to grow and accumulate wealth, and all things related to the mortgage industry. But we're golf lovers here as well. So we're going to work in some golf. Don't worry for my golf lovers out there. We got you. And I hope you enjoy the show. Okay, welcome back to the show, everybody. Glad you're here today. We've got a super exciting topic. We're going to talk about how our mortgage rates determined. This is a mortgage nerd topic, and I am a mortgage nerd. So very excited to go through this with you guys. And it's kind of a complicated process, and there's some common misconceptions that we're going to talk about here today. So um, I'm going to talk about this first in terms of How our company is structured. So, we're what's considered an independent mortgage banker, which means that we do everything in house. So, we do the underwriting, processing, disclosures. We fund the loans with our own money on these huge lines of credit that are called warehouse lines. So, the loans get funded on a warehouse line and then they get sold. And when the loan gets sold, we make what's called a gain on sale. So, we sell it for X number of dollars. And that's on the amount of the loan. So it might be a $300,000 loan and we sell it for $310,000 or whatever the number is. I'm just making that up. But that gain on sale, that's one of the ways that an independent mortgage banker generates revenue. And that gain on sale has a impact on how rates are determined as this money flows through the system. So let's start with a conventional loan funded at an independent mortgage banker. So Mortgage Banker does all the processing of the loan. Loan closes. They fund it on their warehouse line. Then they take these conventional loans and put them together in pools and sell them to Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac. Those are one of two government-sponsored enterprises. They're technically privately held companies, but they have a government-backed guarantee. So like in 2008, Fannie and Freddie, during that crash, would have become insolvent had the feds not stepped in and given them a bunch of money. And so at that time, when the feds stepped in, they bought basically 98% of Fannie and Freddie's stock and infused a whole bunch of cash into Fannie and Freddie so that they could stay afloat. So they are still operating privately, but the government owns almost all of them. And so what happens when Fannie and Freddie get the loans is they then, in turn, package them up and sell them to Wall Street as what are called mortgage-backed securities, MBS. And so mortgage-backed securities are long-term bonds that get traded on Wall Street. So a lot of mutual funds, uh, different investments you would have your money in, 401K funds, a lot of these funds have some percentage of mortgage-backed securities in them. So it's a 30-year bond. So, what happens with mortgage rates is the uh, price that mortgage or the, the price and rate that long term bonds are trading for on Wall Street is what determines the rates that are offered on mortgages for a conventional loan like this. Because whatever that rate is that investors are willing to pay on Wall Street. Fannie and Freddie are going to set their prices accordingly with with some margin that they build in for profit. And then mortgage bankers who sell conventional loans to Fannie and Freddie, they're going to set their prices accordingly to what Fannie and Freddie have so that they've got some margin in there. So what happens with bonds, the way rates are determined on long-term bonds, is as investors buy more long-term bonds and money goes into long-term bonds, what happens to that is it drives the price of the bond up and the rate of return on the bond down because the issuers of the bonds don't have to pay as high of a rate of return to get people to invest because there's more supply and dem- or there's more demand coming in for bonds. And so they don't have to offer as high of a rate of return to compensate the investors for buying the bond. So you have an upfront cost on a bond, and then you have the rate of return, which is the rate of interest on a bond. So as more money flows into bonds, it brings the upfront cost up and it brings the rate of return down. And then the opposite is true. As money moves away from bonds, it brings that upfront cost down and the rate of return higher because bond issuers are trying to attract investors so what we generally see happen is when the economy is doing well or when people feel really optimistic about how things are going to go if they move their money out of bonds and into stocks because stocks as a general rule of thumb would give you a higher rate of return than a bond A stock, as a general rule of thumb, is considered a more risky investment versus a bond. So the opposite is also true. When people feel pessimistic about how things are going to go in the economy or the economy is slowing down, investors tend to move their money out of stocks, which are more risky investments, and into bonds, which are considered safer investments. So as that money flows from stocks to bonds, it brings the price of the bond up. It brings the rate of return on the bond down. So when we think about this in terms of mortgages, as investors are moving money into the bond market, because the rates of return on these bonds are going down, that brings the interest rate on mortgages down. Because mortgages become long-term bonds called mortgage-backed securities. So as Fannie and Freddie are selling to Wall Street, they can sell mortgage-backed securities at lower rates because that's the going rate in the long-term bond market. So if Fannie and Freddie are able to sell at lower rates, then an independent mortgage banker like us can originate loans at lower rates and sell it to Fannie and Freddie and still make a profit. So that's how that money flows. So it goes from the mortgage bank to Fannie or Freddie packaged up, sold to Wall Street. And so like if we think about this in terms of the 08 financial crisis, that was a mortgage-related crisis. There were some toxic loans that were being originated during the, those boom years in the early 2000s called uh, option arms. And as the option arms started to go sour and the market started crumbling, almost immediately some of the in, uh, investment banks on Wall Street, Lehman, uh, Lehman Brothers and Bear Stearns, Went bankrupt because they had a huge amount of mortgage backed securities in their portfolio. As those portfolios went sour, it literally just bankrupted those companies almost overnight because they were heavily invested in mortgage backed securities. So this money, you know, it just kind of flows around in a circle. So that is where the rate comes from for mortgages. Now, at each of those layers, you know, Fannie and Freddie is earning a certain percentage of profit on all of those loans that they're selling as mortgage-backed securities. There's a spread that's built in there, and it's way above my pay grade to know exactly what that spread would be. Uh, but then the mortgage companies also earn a spread, uh, which is that gain on sale when they originate and fund a loan. So, you know, we're we're giving a rate of X which makes the value of that loan Y, and then we sell it to Fannie or Freddie for Z. And that spread is what our profit is. So it's basically built in on the back of those loans. The other way that mortgage companies generate income on, you know, just directly on a loan like that is through what's called discount points. So when you're paying discount points, that's also income to the mortgage company. And that's why when you pay discount points, it's in exchange for a lower rate. Because if you say, OK, I want a lower rate than that, Jeff, I say, OK, I can give you that lower rate, but here's what it's going to cost, because that's how much less valuable that loan is on the secondary market being sold to Fannie and Freddie. So the market, it's an open market in terms of how these uh, interest rates are determined. We also have some other categories of loans uh, like jumbo loans or non-qualified mortgages. So these are loans that get held on the balance sheet of a bank. And so jumbo loans and non-QM loans, non-qualified mortgage loans, a mortgage banker like us, we would originate the loan we would sell it to the specific bank. And then right now, you know, the secondary market has not been open for those types of loans. It used to be that they would also get traded to Wall Street as mortgage-backed securities, but we're still in a hangover from the 08 financial crisis. And uh, banks have not been able to just sell jumbo loans on the secondary market. Uh, so they're holding them on their balance sheet. Now, the that gives the banks the latitude to be able to determine what rates they're going to offer on those loans. You know, a bank because they're lending out their depository money, they could give you whatever rate they want to give you on a mortgage. And they're going to hold it on their balance sheet. So they don't have to offer a certain rate to be able to sell it on the secondary market. They can just lend out whatever rate they want to lend for that particular product. So that that applies for jumbo loans and non-qualified mortgages, which are held on the balance sheet of banks. But typically what we'll see is that the banks are going to have those rates in line with what longer term bonds are paying. Because if they're charging significantly less, they're leaving a ton of money on the table. Uh, And if they're charging a lot more, then they're not going to get anybody to sell mortgages to them at those rates. So a lot of times we're going to see those jumbo rates somewhat in line with what conventional conforming rates are. But right now, Jumbo interest rates are actually a little better than conforming uh, interest rates. So if you're getting a jumbo loan, you're you're getting a little bit lower rate. A lot of that has to do with the fact that jumbo loans, they're a larger loan. So it costs the same number of dollars for a mortgage banker like us to originate a $100,000 loan as it does to originate a million-dollar loan. But we make way more money on a million-dollar loan. We make 10 times as much money on a million-dollar loan as we do on a $100,000 loan. Maybe not quite – well – we would, but what happens is, because we're making so much more for one transaction and the cost to originate it is the same, it drives down the margins on the jumbo loans. So we actually don't make 10 times as much money on a jumbo loan. You know, Maybe we make three or four or five times and the difference in that is what accounts for getting a lower rate. So the profit on a jumbo loan is a lot less than it is on a conforming loan. But because the loan itself is so big, the gross number of dollars being earned in profit is actually larger. So there's still you know a lot of money to be made on those uh, jumbo loans when they're originated. So mortgage rates are determined by the open market. And you know, one common misconception that we see a lot, I get this question all the time, is, OK, the Fed just raised rates, so that means mortgage rates went up, right? Well, when the Fed raises interest rates, they're raising what's called the federal funds rate, Fed funds rate for short. The Fed funds rate is a rate that banks pay to borrow money from the Federal Reserve. It's an overnight rate. The banks can borrow money from the Fed to fund operations you know, as they have money coming in and out. And whatever the Fed funds rate is, is, that's the rate of interest that banks are paying to borrow from the Fed when the fed hikes the fed funds rate it does not directly impact mortgages but it does indirectly impact mortgage rates because as the fed hikes the fed funds rate now it costs banks more to operate on a daily basis which means that they're going to charge more to give out loans, which means that businesses are going to incur more costs to get loans and get capital. And so this additional cost just filters out through the economy. So at, when we see uh, like a situation that we're in right now, high inflation, the Fed is trying to get inflation down because high inflation if it runs for too long, it can really stagnate the economy because then your average person is going to have trouble affording all their basic needs like gas and food and clothing. And so the Fed wants to keep inflation at a manageable level. Well, their tool to do that is to raise the Fed funds rate, which then makes it more expensive for businesses to operate in the economy, which then slows down the economy. And then as the economy slows down, inflation comes down. Mortgage rates... Are most closely influenced and tied to inflation because mortgages become long-term bonds traded on Wall Street. If you're an investor and you're buying a bond, you're going to invest in a long-term bond. You're very, you're like one of your most important decision factors. Your decision-making factors for investing in that bond is what do you think inflation is going to do? in the next 10 years, or 20 years, or 30 years. Because if you get invest in a long-term bond, and the rate of return on that bond is 5%, let's say, and let's say inflation averages 5% over that period of time, you've made no money on that bond. Because your 5% rate of int- rate of return has been eaten up by inflation. So the higher inflation is, the higher long-term rates are because nobody would invest in bonds if the rate of return on a bond was less than the rate of inflation. So as inflation is high, that brings up mortgage rates and it brings up all long-term bond rates. They all flow together. But when the Fed hikes, the Fed funds rate, markets anticipate that that will bring inflation down as those Fed hikes take hold. So in, with the psychology of it, as investors see the Fed continue to hike more and more, then we're going to start to see bond rates come down because now the markets are going to start to believe, OK, inflation's going to come down. So now investors are more willing to put money into bonds. If they put money into bonds, that brings the price of the bond down or the price of the bond up and it brings the rate of return on the bond down. So those work in opposite directions there. So that's why like when the Fed did that first really aggressive hike in June of uh, 75 basis points, we saw mortgage rates go on a nice run of improvement after that. Uh, but w- we still haven't seen rates like come down in a material way because the inflation numbers that are coming out right now are still high when you average them over one year because inflation didn't start to get really high until the latter part of last year, like fourth quarter last year so as we get into the fourth quarter here the year-over-year average is going to be comparing higher inflation numbers from last year than it has been for the last several months which is going to bring that average down so we expect that as the inflation numbers year-over-year inflation numbers start coming down we're going to see mortgage rates start to come down as well so we would expect mortgage rates are going to improve quite a bit fourth quarter or maybe first quarter of next year as these inflation numbers come down because mortgage rates are tied most closely to inflation. So that's how that whole system works, and that, that's the flow of the money. That's how a mortgage banker like us earns uh, revenue and profit, and it's all market-based. So there's not one lever that's being pulled that's dictating mortgage rates. It's the overall economy, and it's the overall bond market and investors' expectations of what market conditions are going to be you know, over the next 10 years, 20 years. So it's, that was a pretty technical podcast. Uh, so I went super all-out mortgage nerd on you. Uh, but if you have any questions on that or, or want to discuss it with me, I'd always be happy to have a conversation. Shoot me a DM. And I hope you're doing well. Make it a great week. Hey, guys, thanks for listening. I I hope you enjoyed the show and got some valuable information out of it. I want to help to educate others and and help people grow their business and build wealth. And I can only do that with referrals and your help getting the word out about this podcast. So if you come across someone you think could benefit from this, please share it with them. And if there's nobody who comes to mind, a five-star review would go a long way in in helping me to, to grow this podcast and grow the brand. So appreciate your support.